All right, hello, welcome back to Unqualified Analysis. We are back here in the closet of shame because I am not in the house by myself anymore. That's that's okay, man. It's a little bit cold in here, but you know what? Still an all right place to record this episode here for you today. And you know what? We got a good one for you. Uh, I'm your host, Caleb Verzak. By the way, you can follow me on all my socials at, you guessed it, Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell that effed up Eastern Bloc name, try to get cut down on the cursing right out of the gates because, you know, we're on YouTube now. We're trying to, we're trying to like totally not get buried in the algorithm though. You know, I think I've gotten like three total views on the channel since I started posting videos. So who cares really? But anyways, uh, shoot me a DM if you want to add something to the show or give me a business inquiry. I don't really care either way. Or you can go through the email on qualifiedanalysis at gmail.com uh, and subscribe wherever you listen to this. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon. Just go ahead, hit that subscribe button. Uh, doesn't really mean anything to you. means all the world to your boy over here right now. So today... Got a couple things going on. First off, got the NFL draft just happened last week, all seven rounds. Haven't talked to y'all since that happened. So we're going to go through all the rounds and in, you know what, in our own ways, go through all the all the rounds of the NFL draft. Really not all the rounds, but you know what, we're going to recap it in the best way that I know how. And also we're going to get you an update on what happened in the NBA playoffs because things are are moving now. We are officially into the second round after the Game 7 that happened yesterday and all the happenings that went about last week. So with that, it is a loaded episode, so let's just get right into the action. Starting off with NFL draft accolades and my favorite picks from the draft. And I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and just say like grading picks or whatever is going to be a, a good exercise. I think it's a total waste of time. Not in the not in the business of grading drafts or draft picks in the year they're selected. It's an absolute waste of time. And there are, there are draft picks that have been widely lauded on draft night who were complete busts. Uh, say a Jimmy Clausen, for instance. And then there have been picks that were widely panned, which turn out to be stars. Say like maybe an Emmett Smith or a Bobby Wagner. It is a total crapshoot at this point in time. You can have a certain value rating on whatever picks you want, but it's all situational uh really depends more on the situation these players go to than their actual overall talent and sometimes you just miss on the overall talent in general I, I i'm just listening to part of my take now uh they just talked about in the year that taylor lawan was drafted greg robinson was number two overall and now he is currently in prison so you never know how these things are going to go at the end of the day so drafting or grading drafts total waste of time not going to waste my time with that so instead of that we are going to, we're not, instead of exercising futility, uh, I decided to hand out some completely made up awards. I like to call them the NFL draft accolades. Many are team awards, some are individual awards, but uh, really just based off of how things went in the first round, that's, I think that's probably a more fun way to tell you how things went, went down in that first round overall. So, after that, we'll follow that up with some of my favorite picks, regardless of what round they went in. I got at least one pick in basically every round from what I understand. So without further explanation, further ado, let's just get straight into the accolade, shall we? And this was, I mean, really, I came up with these just kind of driving around, doing my day job and thinking, what fun ways has this draft gone so far? This was on Friday after uh, the first round had happened on Thursday. So I was just thinking to myself, what what awards can I hand out? And this is the first one that popped into mind. The 
they can't keep letting him get away with this award. Just imagine that I said that in the Jesse Pinkman voice from Breaking Bad. This one goes to Howie Roseman and the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's because they took they took full advantage of Jalen Carter dropping. They, they traded up to get him at 8. They already had that Saints pick. I believe it was at uh, either 9 or 10. I can't remember exactly where they were initially in the first round. But they traded up to take Jalen Carter because... I was shocked that he he dropped past six, quite frankly, and the fact that he was there at eight, I mean, you, you gotta trade up and take him if you are the Philadelphia Eagles. That's not all they did, though. That is not all they did at all. When most of us were probably asleep for the most part, I, I, I'm a sicko, so I stayed up for the entirety of the first round of the draft, so I was awake when this happened. But they turned around at the end of the draft and got the fast, the end of the, the first round rather, and got the fastest edge rusher at the combine and fellow Georgia Bulldog Nolan Smith at pick number 30. So, in summary, the Eagles got the consensus best player in the draft coming in. I think that's pretty widely known. If it weren't for the, the, the character issues uh, and him showing up to the pro day overweight uh, and seeming distracted, uh, Todd McShay just kept uh, bumping over and over that he had that there were some people at Georgia uh, that probably weren't overly really you know overly broken up about Jalen Carter leaving for the draft I think part of that was kind of a little bit of bullshit if I had to say so myself but all that said dropped him down and I'm almost out of the top 10 down to number eight total steal for the Philadelphia Eagles then they turned around and got what would have likely been a top 10 pick if he hadn't torn his pick torn his peck rather in the first round um in Nolan Smith Take a bow, Hal. You once again came out looking smarter than just about everyone else. Also, by the way, a little side note here. They took Keely Ringo in the fourth round, who I still think they might move to safety. They got a need there, and Keely Ringo does not have the the most flexible hips. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pan the nerds a lot here in this one. I'm not a huge fan of the ways that they talk about draft picks that they have no idea how they're going to pan out whatsoever. But right now, I'll give them credit. They had, the, they had the the analysis completely right on Keely Ringo. Great straight line speed, not the most flexible of hips, not the quickest guy uh, in keeping up with, with players. Like you saw him get absolutely torched by all comers on the Ohio State um, wide receiver core just because he could not keep up with them quickness-wise. For that reason, I think that he makes a transition over to safety at some point. I would not be shocked if that's the way they did it. And if it were me, that's probably the way I'd do it because he is... He is freakishly fast. I mean, 4.36 at his size, that's damn good. Uh, the quickness is going to, I guess, slow him down, for, for lack of a better way to put it, at that cornerback position. I think at safety, though, if he can really learn to, to see what's in front of him, diagnose plays from that back end like that, I think he could be a really, really good safety. And I think he could step in pretty quickly and take one of those starting safety spots because like right now it's, it's Reed Blankenship and Terrell Edmonds, not really an all-star group of safeties they've got back there for the Eagles. Uh, that being said, besides the point, be between this draft and the last draft, the Eagles have now taken five of those starters from that dominant UGA defense over the last two years. Uh, just the, And again, they also traded for um, DeAndre Swift. We'll talk about that in, in just a moment here. But they got, they're basically just rebuilding those national championship rosters uh, from Georgia just over there in Philadelphia, which... Not a terrible strategy. It might be a strategy that I would employ myself if I were in a similar situation. But with that, let's get into the second accolade here. We have got the Big Brass Balls Award. That is going to the Houston Texans. Uh, they completely 
they, they completed that okie doke. Uh, they were trying to, you know, put out that smoke screen going and they might take a, a, a defensive player at the number two, two pick. Nope. They took CJ Stroud at two. And then after letting Adam Schefter fool as many people as they could, that they take Will Anderson at two, they went right back up to number three, trading with the Cardinals. They traded a haul to the Cardinals at that, trading their, 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 their personal first round pick next year not that Browns first round pick that they still have but their own first round pick to the Cardinals vaulted back up num to number three took Will Anderson anyways and this is where I start criticizing the nerds all right so the nerds question this one based on the value but sometimes you just got to shove them back in the locker and point out that they just got their cornerstones on both offense and defense for the next four years right now I think you you pay a little bit of a premium to get that sort of value out there Will Anderson is about as close to, to a can't miss prospect as you can find in this year's draft especially on the defensive side maybe he wasn't as talented uh raw talented as wise as uh as Jalen Carter was but still absolute freak on the outside he had 17 sacks two years ago uh over 10 sacks last year he's a polished guy he can step in right away and and be a very productive guy on the outside uh rushing stopping the run you name it he's just a damn good defensive player so I love that pick and then you got CJ Stroud on the other side which I think you got two solid offensive tackles. At the very least, you got Laramie Tunsil, which is, you know, it's a place to start, if nothing else. Um, probably got to address the wide receivers a little bit. They did that a bit later in the draft. We won't end up talking about that, but they, they did some stuff there as well. Um, so, hey, I think you really got, especially drafting a quarterback at number two, you expect him to be a cornerstone of your franchise for years to come. So, with that in mind, after a couple of years of actively trying to suck, Nick Casario has clearly decided that the time has come to push in the other direction and try and start winning some games and getting this team better. The Texans still, I don't think, I don't think they're going to be very good next year. I think the 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 ceiling of expectations is maybe eight wins, and that's if things go very well for you. Realistically, probably like six or seven wins, if I had to say. They will be better next year. Uh, they still won't be good. But this was a as ballsy a move as you're going to get on draft night. And the fans can rejoice in the knowledge that the tanking phase of this team's rebuilding is officially over as far as I can see it. And uh, yeah, just keep on with that knowledge. Look, looking forward to what they do in next offseason, both in free agency, in the draft. It's going to be uh, interesting to watch as they actually start trying to build this thing instead of act actively trying to lose down there in Houston. Uh, third award that I'm looking at here is the Death to Analytics Award. That's going to the Detroit Lions. They took Jameer Gibbs running back out of Alabama at 12 after trading back from six with the Cardinals, who traded back up to get Paris Johnson, who Kyler Murray said he really liked coming into the draft. That's besides the point. I didn't get to it at any other point here, though, so I wanted to wanted to touch on that. Hey, they did accommodate uh, a little bit of what Kyler Murray was asking for there uh, up at the top of the draft, so I guess they still... They still view him as a franchise quarterback, and they're kind of stuck in that belief because they just signed him to a big old extension last offseason. Don't got to relitigate that, though. Back to the point here. Jameer Gibbs at number 12 to the Lions. Then they turn around at number 18 and take Iowa linebacker Jack Campbell. This felt like a personal attack on the nerds who say, one, should never draft a running back in the first round, which, again, kind of shove him in the locker. That's not... Blanket statements are for idiots, quite frankly. It's just not... Some players are just good enough to where you can take them in the first round. I, honestly, they did overdraft Jameer Gibbs. I think he probably would have been a later first round pick uh, if I had to say so. Probably more in the in the 20s, closer to 30s. He would have still been a first round pick, though. So 
really anyone who's trying to tell you you should never take a running back in the first round, again, just open up the locker, shove them back in, and you could ignore them there uh, going forward because it's just a blanket statement that is not applicable in all situations. But again, they also drafted um, a lot inside linebacker in the first round in a draft where there was not really expected to be an inside linebacker draft in the first round, not a very strong draft for inside linebackers. So you could say they reached on both of those picks. Uh, I will say though, I absolutely love this. I don't know about Jack Campbell, frankly, uh, he was good at Iowa. Who's to say if he'll work out in the NFL, we won't know until he gets there. I mean, they got really stacking strength on top of strength. They just re-signed Alex Anzalone. Then they draft a, a linebacker in the first round. So we'll see how that works out. I mean, obviously, well, not obviously, but Hopefully you think that'll that'll help out the running defense if nothing else. But Jameer Gibbs is going to be a monster for the Lions. No two ways about it. Uh, also, consequentially, this directly led to, to DeAndre Swift getting traded to the Eagles, aforementioned there in uh, one of the previous accolades, where he will likely be the slated starter next season. Howie's an absolute madman. But this Jameer Gibbs pick, he can do absolutely everything. He's by... If it wasn't for Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs would have been the talk of the town as far as the running back mark market is concerned this year in the draft. Just trying to hold back those burps there. Hold them back as, as much as I can right now. But Jameer Gibbs, I mean, he can catch out of the backfield. He can beat linebackers consistently in coverage. And as a runner, I mean, he ran 4-3 at the combine. He's fast as hell. There's some questions about his vision a little bit uh, from time to time, but a great offensive line in front of him. I think Jameer Gibbs is going to be an absolute star in this offense and an upgrade from what they had, quite frankly. Sure, they just signed David Montgomery, which is another thing like, hey, you're drafting a running back in the first round after just signing a guy out of free agency. Again, this is this is the Death to Analytics, Analytics Award, and the Lions completely earned that uh, title for sure. But even so, Jameer Gibbs should be the starter this year. Uh, David Montgomery will provide valuable reps as the as the secondary guy, but Jameer Gibbs will be the bell, maybe not the bell cow, but the first string guy, the guy that's going to be a real game breaker. I think you're going to see a lot of big plays behind that offensive line for Jameer Gibbs going forward and really in the passing game because, like I said, he can beat just about any linebacker in the NFL in one-on-one -on -one coverage outside of maybe like a Fred Warner, uh, who is a, a bit of an anomaly in that aspect as well. So love that pick. It's going to be weird, though, to actually have to root against the Lions. They are legitimately the best team in the NFC North right now. There's really not, I mean, I wouldn't say there's not a close second because it is the NFL. Their town is relatively evenly distributed throughout the league for the most part. But uh, the Lions are the best team in the division. They've just been the lovable bad team for basically my entire life up until this point. And it's going to be a strange, strange transition from that dynamic to actually actively hoping that they lose because they're they're a legit team now. I mean, credit where it is due. They have turned this thing around over the last couple of years. And um, I, I would say I'm looking forward to seeing how they, they really turn around going forward. But uh, I'm a Vikings fan, so fuck them, I suppose. Uh, up next, though, I think this is the fourth... Uh, draft accolade that I'm going to give out here. It is the Bull and the Cuckoo Bird Award. Uh, and first off, the Bull is going to be the Bills. The Cuckoo Bird is the Cowboys. Let me explain this one for you a little bit because many of you were probably asleep when this happened. Uh, this was just some drama that went down in the later stages of the first round. It was no secret that the Cowboys wanted a tight end after losing Dalton Schultz in free agency. And hey, they thought they would have their pick of the litter at 27 uh, with having none of them been picked. None of the tight ends haven't been picked through 25 picks, which is kind of unexpected. I think the over-under for tight ends in the first round coming in on many of the sports books was... I think three and a half. So they expected 
three or four tight ends to go in the first round did the sports books that did not happen at all there was a run on wide receivers in the the late middle of the, the first round and you're getting into the mid-20s not a single one of them had been picked just yet and it was it was clear the Cowboys were eyeing Dalton Kincaid with a sense of lust that we've not seen to this point before they really wanted Dalton Kincaid at number 27 not so fast though the bills came in from the rafters they they traded up to 26 directly ahead of the cowboys and they took the guy that many believe the cowboys was the main target for the cowboys rather in utah tight end dalton kincaid not the greatest blocker in the world but as a pass catcher an absolute playmaker completely cucked the cowboys right before they were about to pick the cowboys had to scramble to pick up the pieces at 27 they ended up drafting uh, defensive tackle mozzie smith out of michigan instead then after an early run on tight ends in the second round they had to settle for uh michigan tight end luke schoonmaker at a uh, 58 could have actually taken Darnell Washington at that point. Darnell Washington didn't go till the third round, uh, but if they really if they really wanted to, they, they could have taken him. Uh, ended up going with Schoonmaker instead. I suppose he had less health concerns, which is why Darnell Washington dropped to the third round because of those health concerns. So uh, I guess that is what it is there. Tied, I mean, the, the Cowboys just got absolutely cucked in this draft. One of the great cuck jobs in recent memory by the Bills. So hats off to him. You guys get the bull and the cuckoo bird award from your boy Caleb. Up next, we have got the Existence is Suffering Award. And this one goes to none other than uh, everyone's favorite guy to hate in the SEC, Will Levis. After being considered basically a lock at number four to the Colts, I think everyone, including me, I was totally fooled by the okie doke. Uh, that Will Levis is going to go at four because basically every draft expert was saying the Colts really like Will Levis at number four. The Colts really, really want Will Levis at number four. So I thought for sure he was going at number four coming into the draft. Levis ends up dropping all the way out of the first round. The TV cameras were glued to his pain the entire night. He started off looking confident. In the top 10, he was like, okay, maybe Tennessee gets me down at number 11. Nope, they go with Peter Skaronsky. And then from there, it was just dropping and dropping and dropping. He was getting no calls on his phone. He started. He went from confident looking to abjectly just depressed. Uh, his girlfriend had to go pee at some point and let every attendant that she could see within earshot uh, know that she had to go pee saw that on the on the on the cameras and then next thing you know first round has ended the Chiefs are at number 31 and you're thinking hey maybe they take me I don't know they got Patrick Mahomes but maybe they take me late in the first round uh spoiler alert they didn't they took a pass rusher and Will Levis uh did not come back for day two into the uh into the green room which I cannot blame him for doing so that being said didn't really have to wait long on day two the Titans actually traded up in the second round to take him at 33 I think it was but boy that was hard to watch in the green room on night one, man. And it, you know what? There's always one guy in there. Will Levis just happened to be the guy this time. But I'll tell you what, looking at his face, you knew all that was going through his head at that point was, quote, existence is suffering. Uh, side award, though, related to this, the Okie Doke Award goes to Chris Ballard for letting everyone believe that he was taking Will Levis at four, only to take Anthony Richardson instead, which is the pick that actually made sense. If you're going to take Will Levis up that high, I mean... Why not just go for Anthony Richardson? They're essentially the same type of prospect, you know, guys that you don't really expect to play in year one. You kind of want to sit down and let them learn the offense, kind of tweak up some mechanics so they can get a little bit more consistent accuracy. Um, and, and really, at number four, you're expecting Anthony Richardson uh, to play right away. And if you're going to pick a guy to play right away, why not just go with the more explosive athlete who has basically the same profile at that spot? 
I think he's still going to have some serious accuracy concerns in, in year one. But as far, I mean, he's his athletic comp coming in, this was according to, I can't remember exactly which expert said it, so forgive me, but his athletic comp coming in at 6'4", 245, running a 4'4", jumping a 40-inch vertical or something like that. His athletic comp was not a quarterback, not a wide receiver. It was Khalil Mack, a Hall of Fame pass rusher. So this is just a quarterback. This is a athlete at the quarterback position we had not seen before. If you're going to go with the athlete and project, might as well just go with Anthony Richardson there for it. It's the one that made more sense anyways. But hats off to Chris Ballard for it. He's not a big not big into the getting into the lying season, but if he hears a story circulating that is abjectly false about his pick at number four, he's not going to dissuade that going into the draft because it's not strategically, uh, it's not strategically advantageous for him to do that. So hats off for him, hats off to him for for just letting everyone believe that he was going to go with Levis that whole time than just taking Anthony Richardson. Uh, I will move on to the next accolade though. The next one up is the What a Difference a Day Makes Award, and that is going to the Ravens. Think about this. They started Thursday with a contract standoff with their quarterback, uh, Lamar Jackson, widely known. I think you've all heard about this at some point, many times on this particular show. Uh, and then they needed a wide receiver in the draft. At the end of Thursday, they had signed Lamar Jackson to a $260 million extension, and they had taken uh, Boston College wide receiver Zay Flowers in the first round. All of a sudden, it's all bright, it's all sunny over there in Baltimore. Charm City is back to being charming once again, and that certainly feels miles and miles away from the the discourse uh, and the uncertainty that was happening really just days before the draft when they were talking about, hey, maybe we'll take a quarterback in round one. You never know what we're going to do. We got to do our due diligence, I suppose. Uh, ended up being lying season. Once again, Eric DaCosta was thinking about taking uh, Lamar Jackson uh, to the negotiating table that whole time. They ended up reconvening uh, towards the beginning of last week, and they hammered that thing out quickly. I think they basically just said, hey, we're going to look at Jalen Hurts' deal, and we're going to give you a slight uh, pay upgrade in every single category along those lines. Ended up getting about $185 million guaranteed for Lamar Jackson when it was all said and done. $260 million overall, which I believe is like $2 million more a year than what's, uh, what Jalen Hurts ended up getting. So, New largest contract in NFL history. Lamar Jackson is in Baltimore for the next five years. And you get Zay Flowers. So now it's it's Rashad Bateman, who you never know if he's going to stay healthy. OBJ, same sort of concerns. And you also got Zay Flowers there at your, at your wide receivers. And by the way, sign Nelson Aguilar in free agency. Good, good rotational wide receiver. You just drafted Isaiah Likely last year. You got one of the best tight ends in the entire league in Mark Andrews. And you got that crazy defense on the other side. Ravens should be competing for a division title once again in the AFC North, and the kitchen just keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter in the AFC North. All of these teams have a legit chance to go out there and win that division. It seems to be that way for years now, and I, I love it. One of the best divisions to watch in the entirety of the NFL, uh, but that is uh, what a difference a day makes for the Ravens, man. What a difference a day makes. Moving on, we have got the Work Smarter, Not Harder Award. That one's going to the Seattle Seahawks, who might have flown under the radar a little bit, but there was a lot of talk that they would have traded back from their, their number five pick in the first round. Uh, phone was ringing off the hook all the way up until they made that pick, but Ultimately, they stood pat, didn't like any of the offers that were coming in, and with that pick, they took cornerback Devon Witherspoon at five, 
And at number 20, later on in the draft, they took Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, both of those guys were considered best of their respective positions. Devon, Devin Witherspoon was the number one ranked corner. Jackson Smith and Jigba was the first wide receiver off the board and was a, the consensus number one wide receiver coming into this draft. Sometimes the best thing is to do is just stay put and trust the board. That's exactly what they did. And they, they're both in positions of need, too. I mean, Tariq Woolen really came on last year. I think they got a... a the reincarnation of Kobe Bryant at the cornerback position over there as well, but they needed more depth in the secondary. You get exactly that with Devin Witherspoon, a plug-and-play starter in day one. That's why you get him at number five. Then you got Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is a very good complement to to what, uh, first off, DK Metcalf does, also Tyler Lockett as well. I mean, it's a it's a receiving core that you got an aging Tyler Lockett. I'm not sure how long he's going to be in Seattle for, for much, much longer. And Jackson Smith and Jigba, Kind of fits that same sort of mold. Not really, um, not really a guy that you're going to ask to be a burner down the field as much, but a great tactician on the route tree. A guy that can really take advantage in the slot and, and really just uh, move the sticks when you need him to. It's a position of need that they had as well. So a great first round for the Seattle Seahawks. And they didn't really need to do much to, to have a great first round. Just stay put, trust the board. That's exactly what they did. And the last of the draft accolades that I've got for you right now is the Creature of Habit Award. And there were a couple candidates for this, but my winner, who else would it be? It's the Packers. Because after many of them expected that, many expected them to take a weapon in the first round to help out Jordan Love in his first year starting, a kind of a weaker receiving core over there. You needed a tight end as well. The Packers said, screw that. We're taking a defensive end. They took Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa at number 13. Two Iowa defenders drafted in the first round, by the way. I mean, they just churn out NFL talent over there uh, in Iowa City. I hope I got that right. I think they're in Iowa City. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't really care enough to go look it up. But to their credit, I will say, they went hard in the paint to get weapons in the second and third round. They took uh, Oregon State tight end Luke Musgrave and Michigan State wide receiver Zayden Reed in the second round before doubling down on tight end with a selection of North Dakota State's Tucker Craft in the third. But hats off to them for sticking to the historical patterns in the first round. They ain't never take weapons in the first round. They weren't going to start now. Lucas Van Ness, I think he will end up being... Um, a good player over there. Also an area of need in that, that pass rush as well. Uh, really never never really found a replacement for Zedaria Smith when he left last year. They do still have Preston Smith there as well, but Lucas Van Ness can step in and be a solid productive player right away, you would think so anyways. So honorable mention also for this award goes to the Patriots for taking a guy from a school no one has ever heard of in the third round, which they seem to do every single year. Last year they did it earlier than many would have expected with taking Cole Strange in the first round out of UT Chattanooga. Uh, this year, they, they decided to go back to their ways. I mean, they had Lenore Ryan, uh, cornerback safety, uh, Kyle Duggar go a couple years ago. This year, in the third round, they took inside linebacker Marte Mapu out of Sacramento State. If you've heard of him coming into the draft, pat yourself on the back. You are an absolute draft fiend that I am certainly not right now, but that's honorable mention because the Packers, they took him in the first round. They went, I mean, they have just done this time and time again, year after year. And in the first round, I think it's more, it's, it's a higher leverage pick than in the third round. So we have ceded the territory to the Packers here, the creature of habit award, well-earned as they've done this year after year after year in the first round. And uh, with that, that's the last of my draft accolades right now. So uh, before I get into my favorite picks, I'm going to take a quick drink of Gatorade. 
And we are absolutely blowing through this draft coverage right now. So, I mean, hey, we are we are making good time. Maybe we'll keep this under an hour and 15. Huh? That'd be a novel little concept there, especially after last week's marathon episode going over two hours. I I apologize for that, but I had to get all, to all the draft needs so you guys could be prepared for the draft. It is what it is there. But starting off with my favorite picks, I kind of just like went down through the various rounds and just kind of pick the players that popped out to me, players I remember for various reasons from college uh, and, and their destinations. First and foremost, B. John Robinson at number eight to the Falcons. I'm here to tell you right now, if you have the number one pick in your fantasy league next year, just take B. John Robinson and forget about it. He is going to be an absolute monster in this Falcons offense. Arthur Smith's running game just got some absolute winstrol, just injected straight into their veins. Bijan Robinson in that offense, I mean, the only thing that's going to keep him from leading the, the league in rushing next year is if, you know, they, they keep going with the, the back by committee. They do still have a very deep backfield with Cordero Patterson back there. They got a, a Tyler Huntley, I believe. Uh, maybe Caleb Huntley. I think it's Caleb Huntley, actually. Maybe maybe Caleb Huntley. One of those is the quarterback. I don't remember which one is the quarterback. They got they got a Huntley back there who's a running back, though. They also got Tyler Algier, who they drafted just last year. So, I mean, they could legitimately go four deep if they want to, which is really the only thing that would keep Bijan Rob Robinson from from leading the league in rushing quite frankly he is an absolute freak he's one of the best running back prospects is not the best running back prospect uh since Saquon Barkley maybe even a better prospect overall than Saquon Barkley depending on who you ask um he was I mean a, a monster at Texas He's going into a situation where they have a solid offensive line, very good running scheme with what Arthur Smith brings to the table. This guy is going to be an absolute monster at the next level. This is this is a great pick. Uh, the nerds are going to be, you know, telling you you shouldn't take a running back in the first round. Hell, Bijan Robinson is such a, a dynamic player that even the nerds that were saying you don't take a running back in the first round were saying that you should draft this running back, quite frankly. And that's that should tell you all you need to know about how good this kid is as a prospect. This is going to be this is going to be fun to watch unless you're in that division with them. Sorry to my old co-host, Zach, who is a Saints fan. It's going to be a tough couple years until inevitably the Falcons just don't pay him because they put like 1,200 carries on his body. And then he goes to free agency, probably doesn't get a very big contract because... He's a running back in the modern NFL. What else is new? But for those four years, four or five years, it's going to be absolutely popping in Atlanta with B. John Robinson over there. Great pick at number eight as far as I'm concerned. Uh, number 16, bit of a homer pick, but what else is new? Emmanuel Forbes going to the commies at 16. Hail, damn, state. Ron Rivera was uh, heard uh, on that, I guess, draft cut up I suppose where they're all mic'd up he said we got our difference maker calmly shook everyone's hand in the room uh really they seem to be very high on Emmanuel Forbes he's going to be a day one starter obviously questions about his size but FBS record for pick sixes mean mean cuss when it comes to just I mean stoning people at the line of scrimmage playing bigger than what his size actually is and having that dynamic speed he's a dog out there literally Bulldog, Mississippi State Bulldog, while also just being a legit dog on the field. I think this is a great pick for the commies there at 16, in no small part, dude, because, you know, I'm biased being from Mississippi State as an alumni, but love to see it. Uh, I think that's five first round picks in the last five years for Mississippi State. So 
hats off to them. They are having a great run here on the defensive side of the ball. I think pretty much all those guys were on the defensive side of the ball, well, except for like Charles Cross. So I digress on that front. Still, five first round picks, five years. You love to see it as a Mississippi State alumni. Up next... Moving into the second round, we got Penn State cornerback Joey Porter Jr. going to the Steelers with the first pick in the second round. And you may remember Joey Porter Jr.'s father, Joey Porter Sr., that would track. Uh, he used to play for the Steelers for a long, long time, was a beloved player in that city. And I think pretty much every Steelers fan, uh, knowing that jo Joey Porter Jr. was in this draft, wanted him on their team, quite frankly. I mean, it was no secret leading up. Basically, every Steelers fan you talked to, they, hell, they were talking about maybe taking him in the first round. So the fact that he drops to them as the first pick in the second round, you don't hate to see it. You just don't hate to see it. And it's a good pickup for them, for sure. It's an area of need, too, because they lost both their starting cornerbacks uh, they got an aging corner there. You know, you can't really trust him to stay on the field all the time with Patrick Peterson, but he can be a good mentor for some young cornerbacks there. Having Joey Porter Jr., a big physical guy, uh, maybe didn't have the, the production in college, but just, you know, needed someone to mold him. Going to the Steelers, that is a great, great spot for him uh, to kind of flourish and, and be what he could be at the next level. Going to be a good press man corner. We'll have to see how it goes from there. I mean, I mean just from a... Just from a sentimental standpoint, though, you love to see Joey Porter Jr. ended up exactly where his dad ended up uh, after the draft way back in the day whenever he was drafted. So, uh, love that pick. Up next, we got uh, North Dakota State offensive tackle Cody Mock in the second round to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And really... I do not know how good Cody Mock is going to be at the next level. All I know is, you may remember me talking about him before. I think we talked about him at the Combine, simply because he's that guy that showed up as a supple young 6'5", 220-pound freshman, just a nice-looking little boy, and then he left uh, North Dakota State having no front teeth at 320 pounds, just gaining all that weight uh, in, throughout the course of college, and creating one of the greatest side-by-side uh, -side pictures of all time uh, on national television. He had, I mean, short hair, looking like a, a well-raised young man when he came into college, ended up with long hair and no front teeth by the time it was all said and done, just went full Cletus in college, and I love to see it. Hope he plays well at the next level. Who's to say, though? I mean, it is, you know... Uh, it, the draft is a crapshoot. I just love that Cody Mock ended up in the second round. And really, if he was drafted in the seventh round, I would have put him here just because we can revisit that old picture of him side by side uh, from freshman year all the way to senior year. One of the one of the great pictures in all of college football history as far as I'm concerned. Uh, up next, a player I really think is going to make a push for, for Offensive Rookie of the Year if they let him uh, this season. Texas A&M running back Devon A-Chain went to the Dolphins in the third round. I am here to tell you he will start day one. I don't... Hell, that's a that's a bold prediction, I will say. They do still have Jeff Wilson. They do still have Raheem Mostert. He is, I think, right now, the best running back they have in that entire room. I think he might end up being the fastest running back they have in that entire room. They got a couple track, track stars between him and Mostert, but... This is just a match made in heaven for exactly what Mike McDaniel wants over there as far as the running backs are concerned. He wants really fast guys that can hit the hole. And Devon A. Chain is one of the fastest players in college football as far as last season was concerned. 
probably uh, pushing the four twos. I think he ended up running like a four three two at the combine, something like that. I think he, I don't, I don't remember if he ran at the pro day or not, but he is just fast as hell. Uh, not quite as small as I think the, we were led to believe in college. And he was the absolute, he was the entire offense for Texas A&M the last couple of years. They were struggling all over the field, but one bright spot that was consistently bright was Devon A. Chain. He just seemed to break off a big play every single game at some point. And I think in that Dolphins running scheme, uh, you know, pick up some some solid offensive line talent and you just keep bolstering that, they are going to have a, a player on their hands in Devon A-Chain. And a young player, too, on a, a salary-controlled con contract. What else is new? It's the modern running back uh, in the NFL right now. Love Devon A-Chain to the, to the Dolphins, though. I think he's probably going to crest over 1,000 yards this year. Uh, he's going to have a, a crazy yard per carry average. I think he's going to be kind of like that, that Jamal Charles sort of role where he he was just so, so fast. He will burn by defenders, whether it be a cornerback, whether it be a linebacker, a safety, doesn't matter. He's going to be faster than just about everyone else on the field when he's out there. He will take that starting role at some point. If it's not day one, it's going to happen at some point throughout this season. So keep an eye on that one. I think he's going to be a big impact player in his first year out of college here down in Miami. What what better place to go than Miami as well? You go from Texas A&M to Miami. I mean, talk about winning the weather lottery right there. I mean, sure, he picked his school coming out of college. It's just luck of the draw there in the draft, man. I mean, good for him for going down to, to Miami and, and sticking with the streak of just staying in warm weather for the most part. Uh, also in the third round, we had uh, Georgia tight end Darnell Washington going to the Steelers, uh, and they already had Pat Fryermuth there, who's a solid tight end, but why not double up on the position? I mean, having two tight ends is, I mean, it's been in vogue really for the last several years, and it's only becoming more so in vogue now, but even even if you don't really use him in the passing game so much, he was maybe the best blocking tight end in all of college football the last couple years. I mean, a physical freak. He's like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, uh, like 260 or something like that. An absolute road grader in the running game. Had some health concerns that dropped him down to the third round. But he is an absolute freak. He's a little bit better than I think uh, I gave him credit for, quite frankly, just because... Uh, as far as pass catching as well, because, you know, it's it's hard to get a whole lot of routes thrown your way when you got Brock Bowers, who's going to be a top 10 picks, pick next year, also on the team as well for you. Uh, but he's a good jump ball receiver. Quarterback didn't really do him a lot, whole lot of favors with ball placement. I think he probably has some things to learn as far as the, the route tree is concerned, but I think he's going to be an absolute stud in that Steelers offense. I think they're going to really, really love that pick when he gets to town. I think it's going to help him in the running game. It's going to help him in the passing game. Darnell Washington is just one of the better all-around tight ends in this entire draft. He slipped a little bit because of those health concerns that I mentioned before with his his knees. I think it was just his knee, maybe, maybe a toe injury as well, but an absolute steal for the Steelers here in the third round, and I think it's going to pay dividends for them almost immediately. I think he's going to be a very, very solid, productive player. Uh, I guess I totally skipped the fourth round. Not a whole lot of uh, not a whole lot of, of people of note in the fourth round, but we're going to the fifth round here in Illinois running back Chase Brown going to the Bengals. And I think this is a guy that you're going to see earlier and you're going to see often. I don't know if they're going to keep Joe Mixon around. It's kind of a an open question right now as to are they going to trade Joe Mixon or are they going to cut Joe Mixon? That, that legal situation is ever percolating in the background. And we haven't really had a whole lot of resolution on that. And there's not really been a decision made thus far. So... 
Chase Brown, I think there's a good chance he ends up being a starter, especially if Joe Mixon's out of town, he's going to be the starter here at some point. And he tested a whole lot better than I thought he would. Just being a, a big sort of physical power back coming out of Illinois, I didn't think that he would be uh, a 4-4 fast sort of dude, uh, have the vertical he did, obviously strong as hell, which, you know, that makes a whole lot of sense. You saw that on the tape for sure. But I think he's a bit more of an explosive athlete than he was given credit for in college. And I think with the Bengals behind that offensive line, I think he can have a really good rookie year, really surprise some people. He flew out of the radar going in the fifth round just because the running back class is, is so deep in this one. But I really think they picked up a good player there, did the Bengals. And it's, it's a, a position that they probably needed because, man, I... I find it hard to see them sticking around with Joe Mixon after all that's, that's swirling around him, all that they could save in cap space if they if they got rid of him this year. Not that they really need the cap space to, to sign anyone outside of the draft picks at this point right now, but it's something to keep in mind. Chase Brown, I think, is going to play a lot in his rookie year, and I think he's going to be a very productive player there for the Cincinnati Bengals. Moving on to the sixth round. LSU wide receiver Kayshawn Boutte went to the Patriots, and this is a guy that, going into last season, I thought may end up being a first-round pick. I thought for sure, like, hey, he had a, a hell of a season. I believe it was, I think he was still a holdover from that national championship team back in the day. He was kind of buried in the depth chart in that national championship team, but he was a very productive player, tested abjectly terribly at the NFL Combine. That finished in the lower end as far as the 40 is concerned. Finished dead last in the vertical leap. He didn't even didn't even get 30 inches in the vertical leap. And I think that's really what bumped him down all the way to the sixth round. So Patriots come in. They get a steal here in the sixth round. It's an area of need, I think. Uh, they needed another wide receiver to come in. They drafted some other wide receivers as well. But I think coming into that building... Kayshawn Butte might do a little bit better than, than maybe he's expected to. He, he was a former first-round pick uh, talent for a reason. I, I really liked him at LSU. I think he had a down year last year, didn't test well at the Combine, like I said before, but could really end up uh, surprising some people when it's all said and done. I like that pick, and we'll have to see what happens. We'll have to see if Mac Jones can figure out a way to utilize him, if Butchill Bill O'Brien can do that as well. Uh, could end up being paying dividends for them and really be outperforming the value that they get in the sixth round. Really, any sort of production out of a guy in the sixth round, I think you're happy with, quite frankly. But uh, Kayshawn Butte, that's a, that's a name to watch over there with the Patriots. I think he could end up being a very good player when it's all said and done. Could also be terrible. I, I have no idea. Again, the draft is a total crapshoot. Uh, also, in the sixth round, we got K-State running back Deuce Vaughn. All five, five of him going to the Cowboys. And mostly, mostly I just put this here because... I think everyone's seen it at this point, but if you haven't, go look up the video of him getting drafted. Uh, Deuce Vaughn's father, I, I can't remember the guy's name to save the life of me, but he's uh, one of the directors of, of uh, uh, college scouting in the Cowboys. He actually was the one that made the call to Deuce Vaughn to tell him that he was being drafted by the Cowboys. I mean, that's an awesome, awesome moment. I'm getting a little, little frog in my throat right now just thinking about how beautiful that moment was. I mean, just imagine that. You're, you're, you're a father. Uh, your son is in the draft. And not only do you get to see him be drafted, you get to be on the team that actually goes out and drafts him. You get to make that call and say, hey, son, you're coming to the Dallas Cowboys. Can't wait to see you here. That is just, oh, that is just a, a, a oh, 
man, I love to see that. That is just awesome. I'm, I have a cold, dead heart, but sometimes it gets thawed and warmed a little bit when I see moments like that in the draft. It is just, it's great to see. Love to see it. Uh, I think Deuce Vaughn is also going to play some, some solid reps behind uh, Tony Pollard there, especially don't know what the situation is health-wise uh, as far as Tony Pollard's ankle after, after coming off breaking it in that, uh, I think it was the playoffs, he ended up breaking it. So, Excuse me. We'll have to see what happens there as far as how much playing time Deuce Vaughn gets. But quick, shifty guy out of the backfield. Very good with the ball in his hands. I think the Cowboys got a good one here in the sixth round. And as we've seen from Isaiah Pacheco last year, doesn't matter what round you get these running backs in. They can be productive players no matter where you get them. Uh, probably not a guy that you want to be putting 20 carries on at that 5-5 frame. Don't want to be putting too many hits on him. But in spots and with a certain role, I think Deuce Vaughn could be a very productive player for the Cowboys very quickly next year. Uh, in the seventh round, Old Dominion tight end Zach Koontz went to the Jets and a guy that I think still kind of flew under the radar, but he completely destroyed the combine. Maybe the biggest athletic freak at the entire combine. Basically blew out every tight end in every category at the combine. I mean, vertical leap, he was number one. Uh, 40 time, he was number one. Uh, I think maybe bench press, he was right up there towards the top of the of the tight ends. I mean, he was a freak. I think broad jump, he was number one, too. Just a freak, freak athlete at like 6'7", uh, 250 pounds or something like that. Raw, raw, talented guy. And this is a good situation for him to go to. I, you got, already got CJ Uzama there, who's a great blocking tight end, great all-around tight end overall. But you plug in Zach Koontz, a guy that is a, a great athlete. Maybe he can, you know, learn to be a little bit more popular polished in the receiving game, didn't have a whole lot of yards last year, just a freak, freak athlete, um, and a guy that the Jets are getting on a pretty pretty cheap rookie deal here, and bringing in Aaron Rodgers, a guy that, you know, likes to likes to have a tight end in there, just to target when you need him to, we need him to be targeted, I think this is a sneaky good draft pick, I think he's going to be productive a little bit more than he's getting credit for in year one, and I'm, I'm interested to see how this guy develops, because if you, if you get the right coaching on this guy, he could be an absolute monster at the next level. I mean, he is every single athletic measurable. He is off the charts in. So, man, I if he can develop a route tree, I don't think he's going to be asked to do a whole lot of blocking this year. I think CJ Uzama and I think they maybe they still have a uh, Tyler Conklin. I couldn't I could be wrong on that, but he's not going to be asked to be doing a whole lot of blocking is is the main point of this. If he can come in and learn a bit of a route tree at the very least uh kill on some seam routes with Aaron Rodgers there I think he could be surprisingly effective as soon as year one maybe year two if, if it takes a little bit for him to get going but uh, a special athlete and a guy that is very going to be a very interesting one to, to keep an eye on going forward here uh, up next in the seventh round guard Andrew Voorhees at a USC went to the Ravens and this is a guy that you may remember uh, he tore his ACL at the combine then goes over to the bench press and then all he does is just put, put up the most reps of 225 of anyone else at the combine absolutely mopped the floor with no no right knee to, to brace with as well which is people don't realize how important that bracing with your legs on the ground is when it comes to just getting up reps on the bench press he didn't have that that luxury uh, bench press he was he had a torn acl for god's sake so an interesting prospect for the Ravens, a guy that probably would have gone higher if he hadn't torn his ACL at the Combine. And the Ravens have already pretty much said uh, next year is going to be a redshirt year for him anyways. 
In 2024, I'm interested to see what they do with Andrew Voorhees, if they slot him in as a starter or if he doesn't work out. Either way, I'm interested to see how that, that one works out because, I mean, he's going to have all the time in the world to kind of acclimate to the NFL game, to heal up. Uh, he's crazy strong, obviously. he got the heart of a lion there uh, going in and beating everyone else at the combine and the bench press uh, with having no need to speak of there. But... We'll have to see. I mean, it's a seventh-round pick, so either way, these are these are just flyers. They could be cut next year if you really have to. Uh, it's just an interesting one uh, to look at from a, from a treetops perspective and think, hey, that might be an impact player in 2024 if all falls right for him. Uh, and my final of the favorite picks here, I'm looking at UCLA running back Zach Charbonnet in the second round, and University of Georgia running back Kenny McIntosh in the seventh, both going to the Seahawks and. Honestly, I wasn't going to include Zach Charbonnet because, oh, ho-hum, another running back uh, going in the second round. I think he's solid. He's not uh, quite on the level of, of Devon A-Chain as far as my interest is concerned. But if you're going to pick up both Zach Charbonnet and Kenny McIntosh in the same draft, I, veteran running backs are strictly forbidden in Seattle. That's, that's the one takeaway I can take from that. And really, more than anything, this is one of my favorites just because they are so blatantly just like, hey... We, we took, uh, oh, I already forget the guy, Kenneth Walker, took Kenneth Walker last year in the second round. We're just going to take two more rookies next year. So uh, the average uh, the average running back age is probably in the low 20s there. And again, if you are a, a veteran running back, you can basically just go take a hike if you're in Seattle because they don't want you. That's <laughs> They have been unapologetic about just saying, hey, we want all young uh uh, salary controlled running backs in this room and we're not going to settle for anything less so now they're three deep on a uh, second year running back and two rookie running backs uh who are probably going to be your one two and three respectively i respect the strategy that is a good economic way to look at uh building an offense there from the backfield and i think zach charbonnet is going to be pretty good i don't know about kenny mcintosh he's going to be the third string so uh in, unless kenneth walker gets hurt he's going only going to be playing like you know third down rotational sort of carries but I do think he's a solid player as well. So I think they got a really deep backfield there in Seattle, and there's no secret to what they want to do, man. They want to run the damn ball. They want to get some good play-action game going with Geno Smith there in that receiving core. The Seahawks, man, they could be right there next year again with another playoff spot. They had a hell of a draft this year. And uh, with that, let's look at some notable Vikings uh, draft picks because... I'm a homer. What else is new? Uh, in the first round, we got Jordan Addison, part of that run of wide receivers. I think there were like four straight wide receivers taken. Uh, we took Jordan Addison, I, I believe, 23, 24. Can't remember exactly which pick that the Vikings were at in the first round. But an area of need could have could have gone with a cornerback there as well. But uh, maybe didn't, they didn't like how the board shook out as far as the, the, the cornerbacks ahead of them. I think... Uh, think, who was it, Emmanuel Forbes got picked a little bit sooner than expected. Uh, Christian Gonzalez dropped a little bit, and I think that probably would have been in the pick if it, if he had dropped to them, but Patriots ended up taking him as well, and I guess they probably didn't have much of a first-round grade on any of those other uh, cornerbacks. So, area of need as well, really only had uh, K.J. Osborne and, of course, Justin Jefferson there in the receiving course, so you needed another wide receiver at some point. Why not take Jordan Addison, former Bolitnikoff winner in 2021 in the first round? Uh, a really good route runner, maybe not the, the burner as far as speed is concerned, but with Justin Jefferson in there, you got K.J. Osborne as a very good deep threat. You just need him to basically step into the slot and be like, all right, we're going to move the sticks when you need him to and beat man coverage all the damn time, which is what Jordan Addison can do. And, of course, he had an iconic quote after being drafted saying let's go get paid 
Could not agree more, Jordan Addison. You're going to be paid a lot more than me, but we are of the same mindset. Let's go get paid, my guy. Uh, also, in the third round, because we obviously traded the second round pick to the Lions to get TJ Hawkinson, do not regret that at all. He's a monster, quite frankly. But in the third round, uh, we actually traded back, uh, I believe it was either once or twice in the third round to kind of recruit some later later round picks. But we got a quarterback, Makai Blackman, out uh, of USC as well. Just USC, USC with the first two picks that we had in the draft. And PFF loves Makai Blackman for whatever that's worth. From what I from what I understand, the PFF uh, rankings as as far as the uh, the the covered stats are concerned, maybe a little bit less than reliable. But they love him. Uh, seemed like a solid uh, cornerback. Also, there's a, a wide receiver that's. Man, I, I can't remember. Someone drafted him, and they were saying, oh, man, he was looking real good. Uh, they put out this, this cut-up of where basically Caleb Williams put a perfect ball on this wide receiver, and the guy in coverage was basically glued to the wide receiver the whole time. Really not much he could do. That guy in coverage was Makai Blackman, and that was in a one-on-one drill where really, in those one-on-one drills, it's it's basically designed for the offensive player to win most times. Uh, Makai Blackman was stuck to him like glue. Also, that's one rep out of the you know many, many he took throughout the entire season. Not even a meaningful rep. It was a practice rep. But hey, could be a good guy. And it's an area of need we had for sure. We need, we need all the cornerbacks we can get. So Makai Blackman in the third round, good in my book as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we also took uh, BYU quarterback Jaron Hall in the fifth round. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here, ladies and gentlemen. He's a he's a raw talent. Uh, he had some really good, really good tape at times at BYU. Had some had some great balls that he threw out there at times, but also had some you know spotty accuracy. I think that BYU uh, quarterback factory a little bit suspect. I would say you had Zach Wilson coming out raw as hell. You had Jaron Hall coming out raw as hell. There's there's some. There's some reasonable concerns there as far as the BYU development of quarterbacks over there. and But really, they they asked Jaron Hall to do a whole lot throughout the season. Uh, he had some crazy plays at times, had some bad plays at times as well. He's a developmental prospect. If he works out, that'd be cool. Uh, if he doesn't work out, he was a fifth-round pick. It's all water under the bridge. I like the pick, quite frankly. I think it's a good flyer to take there in the fifth round because, hey, if, if he works out, you know, maybe you give him a run next year. If he doesn't, uh, it's a deep QB class. So we'll have to see what happens there. Uh, in the seventh round, Vikings drafted UAB running back Dwayne McBride, who, if you're reading the tea leaves here, Dalvin Cook might not be in town. We're still waiting to see what happens there uh, as far as whether he moves on, whether he has a contract restructuring, whether he just gets outright cut. It's hard to say right now. But if he does move on, I would just put this out there. I'd rather have Dwayne McBride, the seventh rounder, start over Alexander Madison. Alexander Madison, just because he looks like Dalvin Cook does not mean he is as good as Dalvin Cook. And he was not good really the last couple years. I've never really been very impressed with what Alexander Madison has put out there on tape. I, I think he's turning up many times. I don't want to besmirch him too much, but he's just underwhelmed me a lot of times. Not a big play guy out of the backfield. Maybe a good short yardage guy for the most part. But... Sometimes you need him to get four yards and it's blocked for four yards and he only gets you two. That's kind of the that's kind of the, the bugaboo with him. And if you look at a lot of the advanced stats as far as like expected 
uh, rushing yards. He's on the negative side of that, which is, you know, doesn't take a genius to know that that's not a good thing when it comes to, to running backs. Uh, Dwayne McBride could break tackles. Uh, solid guy at the group of five level. Really made some big plays last year. Uh, fast guy, possible big play guy. That's just not sim. That's simply not a, uh, it's not, not something that, um, not, not something that, that Alexander Madison was bringing to the table. Almost a Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook does bring a big play threat to the, the game. Also, Dalvin Cook, maybe not the type of running back that fits best in Kevin O'Connell's system. He was an inherited guy. He's a great running back uh, on the whole. Uh, a physical freak as far as the straight line speed is concerned, but maybe Kevin O'Connell wants a little bit more lateral quickness. Dwayne McBride brings that to the table, which is why I think maybe, watch that name, Dwayne McBride, I think Ty Chandler might have a little bit more of an outsized role this year outside of just being a returner. Guys to watch there in that running back room going forward. But there, there you have it. That is the NFL draft right there. Do we know, Probably a good portion of those picks I just named won't actually end up working out the next level. That's just the crapshoot that is the draft. But those are the guys I like. Those are the accolades that I handed out before that. And there you have it. If you want to go look at the actual round-by-round round, uh, performance of each team or who they ended up selecting, go right ahead. But I think I gave you a pretty pretty comprehensive um, summary of what had ended up happening in the NFL draft this year just by going through all those picks. So with that, let's get into a quick NBA playoff update. And hey, that ate up a good amount of time, so we're, we're already pushing an hour here as far as the recording is concerned. So hey, let's just breeze through the NBA playoffs right quick. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we had some NFL to talk about beforehand. So just kind of sequestering this at the end of the pod for those of you that care. The NBA playoffs are going on, and that's, you know, the, the one playoffs this time of year that I generally follow. Hockey is generally good times, but eh, I don't know. I'd... I just didn't get into hockey young enough, so I'm, I'm really just kind of indifferent about the whole sport. It's fun to watch, fun place to, or fun sport to go watch live, but eh, eh, just don't feel like it. There's basketball on TV. So with that, uh, let's get, get you caught up on what happened over the past week. Obviously, Philadelphia 76ers already had swept the Nets the last time we talked, so I uh, won't even need to talk about that at this second, outside of uh, mentioning Joel Embiid's injury, but we'll get to that in just a minute. On the Eastern Conference side, outside of that, Jimmy Butler went absolutely out of his mind in games four and five to close out the Bucks and become just the sixth eight seed to upset a number one seed in NBA history. Jimmy Butler scored 56 in game four, 42 in game five. They close out uh, a, my pick to come out of the Eastern Conference in the first round in five games. Uh, Giannis effusively tried to debunk the assertion that the season was a failure for the Bucks. Really is more about semantics and framing. Uh, but they were my pick to come out of the East, like I just said, and they lost in the first round to a team many thought they might end up sweeping. Me included, I thought they might end up sweeping coming into this thing. Uh, if that's not a failure, I simply don't know what is. Sometimes you fail in sports. It just It's just what happens. Giannis likes to call that uh, steps in the process, whatever you want to call it. I call it a failure, and this year was undoubtedly a failure. And you got to really be looking at Coach Budenholzer because he did not have a very good coaching performance down the stretch here. Left a timeout on the table, and he could have advanced the ball in game uh, in game five in, at the end of regulation. And at the end of overtime, he left two timeouts on the table there as well. So head-scratching decisions there from Coach Bud. And... An abject failure for the for the Bucks going into this one. No no two ways about it. You can call it what you want, Giannis, but it is a failure when you get right down to it. 
Uh, other than that, Trey Young had another put the team on his back sort of game in, in to force a game six in that game five, but the Celtics took care of business and pulled away in the fourth quarter to stem the bleeding there. They closed it out in six, and they set up a meeting with the Philadelphia 76ers. We got our super matchup between the Sixers and the Celtics in the second round. Uh, the winner of that series will undoubtedly be favored to represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. And with questions surrounding Joel Embiid's knee, knee probably not going to play in Game 1 tonight as I'm recording this. You already know how that goes if you go and check the uh, the scores on whatever uh, score selecting app. I don't know what you're talking, what I'm talking about, but uh, you probably you all probably know how that game has gone uh, in Game 1 so far. But with that Joel Embiid situation swirling around in his knee, my money is currently on the Celtics to get the job done here and have the inside track to come out of the East. Uh, other than that, uh, last one in the Eastern Conference, the Cavs did not respond how I thought they would. I thought they'd push to at least Game 6, maybe maybe even make a run and go to Game 7, but they completely wilted in Game 5 versus the Knicks, and now we've got the second round matchup that we all expected. Knicks versus Heat for a berth in the Eastern Conference Finals. Who would have thunk it? Not me. That, that's for damn sure. Uh, this might be the most physical series in the entire playoffs, though. You got the Miami Heat, you had a Tom Thibodeau-coached uh, Knicks team. Just take the under, my friends. Just close your eyes and take the under. It's probably going to hit basically every game in this one. We are getting straight 90s basketball. And by the way, little side note here. Also, also by the way, before I get into this, he ended up winning game one. Jimmy Butler turned his ankle. Looked like he had a, a bit of an ankle sprain there. I, I've got no concerns about that whatsoever. Jimmy Butler's one of the toughest guys in the entire NBA. He'll be back for game two. Uh, the Heat did win that game. I think it was like 108 uh, to 100. I don't know what the over-under is though, but I'm going to take a wild guess and say they probably hit the under with that total there. If only just slightly. I think they did hit the under when it was all said and done. Uh, side note, though, uh, throughout the course of last week, towards the end of last week, we got a full first-hand account from uh, Jeff Teague of what actually went down in that infamous uh, T-Wolves practice where Jimmy Butler showed up and made an absolute scene before being traded the next day. Uh, Jeff Teague was a starter on that team, and... Boy, that story is hilarious. Jimmy Butler is a complete psycho, and I could not love him any more for it uh, than I do after hearing that. Uh, let me just give you the lowdown on basically what happened there. It was, no one was really expecting Jimmy Butler to show up. He was just kind of, uh, showed up on the side, was stretching out, didn't do any sort of warm-ups or anything like that. Uh, scrimmage comes around, then all of a sudden Jimmy Butler says, I'm going. And one of the funnier parts of this is apparently whenever Tom Thibodeau gets excited, he starts shaking his hand like this, like back and forth. He really, really gets gets amped up about this sort of stuff. So yeah, his his hand's shaking. He's getting really excited. He says, go out there with the, with the starters. Jimmy Butler says, nah. Basically picks up like the bottom four on the roster, guys that weren't going to make the team, guys that were going to be in the G League, plays against the starters with uh, Jeff Teague, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, I think there was a couple other guys whose names escape me right now, but the, the starters in the team, team are guys that should end up beating uh, the guys that are not going to be on the roster when it's all said and done, plus Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler leads that team, I think wins like three straight games, uh, talks about how you know Carl Anthony Towns is soft, basically yells about it, says, you got to pay me, yells at the front office, causes a whole big scene, and then... I, he takes off his takes off his uh, his his uh, warm up sweats because he hadn't even done that yet. And <laughs> this is the funniest part of the whole story. He had a warm up shirt on that said Minnesota Timberwolves. He cut out the Minnesota on it, so it was just just bare nipples, 
out out for the whole world to see. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, Jimmy Butler had that on. I think he might have played one more uh, scrimmage with the with the, the G League guys after that, and then he runs off the court, never to be seen again. That the guys on the team think they're going to see him back in the locker room. They go back there. Uh, not don't see him at all. What they do see is they turn on ESPN and there's Jimmy Butler sitting down with Rachel Nichols for that iconic, chaotic interview that he had uh, back in the day when this whole thing was going on. He had already gone home, already done a sit-down interview with Rachel Nichols by the time that they were done with practice. And I believe either a day or two later, Jimmy Butler was was traded after that. I mean, it was that is I love Jimmy Butler so much man he is an absolute psychopath absolutely crazy person uh most maybe the most intense guy in the entire league and it, this is why he was a perfect fit with the heat man he 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 is the living embodiment of heat culture if he doesn't retire with the Miami Heat I will be absolutely shocked he seems like a guy like like Udonis Haslam maybe a little bit different situation because they drafted Udonis Haslam but a guy that really embodies the culture of the team. And I, I just love Jimmy Butler, man. But I digress on that front. Let's move over to the West. Denver took care of business in Game 5 with the uh, aforementioned uh, Timberwolves. Uh, while the Suns followed suit, closing out the Kawhi Leonard list. Clippers in the 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 game five as well. Uh, they already played game one uh, in the second round. Denver took that one by a pretty solid margin after Jamal Murray had a dominant performance. I think he scored like 34 or something like that on Saturday when that tipped off. Um, so hey, they got a 1-0 lead in the series. I think they play again tonight. I could be wrong about that. I didn't check the schedule. I probably should have. Either way, I digress on that front. Meanwhile, the Lakers pull off perhaps the most widely predicted upset in the first round as the, the Grizzlies just waved the white flag in Game 6. They, they forced a Game 7, but... Well, not that they, they forced the game six, but in that game six, I mean, they lost by 40. It was 125 to 85, and I have completely flipped on Dylan Brooks, folks. Last week, I sat here and said, excuse me, he is good. he's a guy that's good for the NBA. You need villains around there, and I still think you need villains in the NBA for the, the intrigue to be up. They're, villains are good for the NBA, I will say. But I think he skipped that on, on media availability after every loss, after he famously said, uh, quote, I poke bears and then called LeBron James old after game two. One of the weakest moves I've ever seen, regardless of sport. I mean, you can't play the instigator role, then just shrink up like a pair of Inuit testicles uh, every time that, you, you know, that, and you, you, you totally just flipped, st stumbled over my words there, but you just can't shrink up whenever it backfires in your face like that. I love having villains in the game. Like I just said, I, I think it's really good for the game to have villains, but I hate watching little punks play this game, and that is precisely what Dylan Brooks looked like coming out of this series. I'm not sure anyone had a worse playoffs than what Dylan Brooks has has had. Uh, he's got some growing up to do if he wants to be taken seriously again, I'll tell you that right now, and his future is... Uh, Who's to say if he comes back with the with the Grizzlies? I think they were they were probably as annoyed as everyone else when it came to his behavior off the court or on the court even throughout this series, uh, especially if he can't back it up in the post game press conference. And who's to say who picks him up afterwards? I do st still think he has a future in the NBA because he's a solid defender, uh, but he takes too many shots. He can shoot you right out of the game, and he's just a gnat out there. And, it's going to be hard for, for him to, to regarner respect after the way he comported himself, just totally running away from the media every time he lost in this series. So, 
We'll we'll have to see how that whole thing progresses there for Dylan Brooks going forward. I am I'm out on him though. I'm I've. I don't respect him anymore. I respected him coming in. I thought he was going to be uh, the next sort of Pat Beverly type of mold. Not at all what ended up happening there. So he could win me back. He could win me back if he comes back and faces the music next year and the year after that. uh, Starts actually showing up to these media things instead of, you know, punking out. But as it stands right now, punk move after punk move after punk move. And I just cannot respect that. Cannot abide by such things at any level of sports, uh, particularly in the playoffs. But, of course... We got the best series in the entire first round, ending the only way it could have. The Kings forced a game seven after going down 3-2. They got it on their home court. And you know what? Unfortunately for the Kings, who I was openly rooting for here throughout the entire series, Steph Curry showed up to the to Sacramento and just decided, boys, we ain't losing this one. Uh, he set a playoff career high, and it, he set a game seven record by dropping 50 points to bury the Kings 120 to 100 and send the Warriors to the second round in a dominant 20 point victory. Credit to the Kings for putting on a show all season and really in the playoffs in general. Like I said, this was the best series in the entire first round. And I'm glad there was one because the rest of the first round ended up being kind of boring down the stretch. Not a whole lot of great games here in the first round. Always got to have at least one. And I'm glad this one was out there, but there's simply nothing that they could have done in the face of that onslaught from Steph Curry. Steph Curry Legitimately, he shot 38 times, went 20 of 38. He just showed up and decided, we are not losing in the first round. And that's that's what champions do. He's one of the greatest players of all time, uh, and he showed it up on full display in that Game 7. Best player on the court by far when it was all said and done. And I can only imagine Adam Silver and the whole league offices were just... Spraying each other with champagne bottles in the wake of this, knowing that they'll now have Lakers versus Warriors in the second round, and they've got some marquee matchups over there. You got the Suns versus the Nuggets. You got the Lakers versus the Warriors. And the other side, you've got the the Celtics versus the uh the almost said the Boston guys. Celtics are in Boston. What am I talking about? Celtics versus the 76ers on the other side. You got the Knicks in the second round. You got the Heat. Maybe not the type of draw the Knicks are, but the Knicks are in the second round. They won a playoff series. No better place in the entire NBA to watch a basketball game. No better spectacle in the entire NBA uh, in basketball uh, than MSG when things are popping over there, and they are certainly popping over in New York right now. So, Adam Silver, the whole league office, they've gotten their they've gotten their wish. Rejoice, your precious ratings have been saved. And uh, with that, I think we're pretty much done for this episode, guys. It was a good one. You know what? Didn't go quite as long as last week, but I hope you enjoyed. That's all for this one. If you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't enjoy it, take that opinion and shove it up your ass. Tell people you loved it anyways, because that's how we grow this thing even more. Also, subscribe on on, my, on the YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcast, on Spotify, on Amazon, all that places, all those places you might be listening to it. Try to grow this bad boy a little bit and just keep it on moving. I release one episode per week until football is back in full swing. And we're back to two, baby. We are back to doing two once again. And I cannot wait till that happens. Several months away, though. So first things first, uh, during the offseason, there's no really telling what I'll get into in any given episode, though. You know, there's a bit of a pattern you can follow if you really follow what's going on in the, in the news. But could be good, could be terrible. Tune in every week to find out, I suppose, Tuesdays at, I guess, midnight. 
really whenever you wake up, it'll be up there on Tuesday, generally. Maybe not on YouTube, but certainly on all of your podcasting platforms. Follow me on all my socials at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. I spelled it for you. I did the work. That was hard, so you guys don't have to. Uh, if you want to contact the show, either shoot me a DM on Twitter or uh, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That is unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put business or show to start the subject line so you can be categorized accordingly. And with that, thank you so much for tuning into Unqualified Analysis, ladies and gentlemen. As always, I've got no clue what I'm talking about, but one thing I learned this week... Now, this one might blow your mind a little bit. Lake Superior, one of the four great lakes in the northern part of the United States, southern part of Canada, is large enough to cover cover all of North America and South America in a foot of water. See you later, guys. Just just keep that in your mind, percolating uh, about how crazy that is. That's a crazy amount of water.